Welcome to the Sounds of the World. We are your hosts, Hillary and Bill. Together, we're going to travel around the world to discover new music, discuss musical topics, and interview fascinating people. Our world is a buffet of music, and it is time to eat. back everybody uh that was a brief sample of home away from home by our next guest the composer comes from kiev ukraine but currently lives in brisbane australia she received her bachelor's degree in jazz piano from the kiev glier university and a post degree in music composition from the kiev conservatory she has since gone on and recently finished her phd at the university of queensland her music has been performed all over the world including canada the u.s brazil europe and australia She's also a performer, including on the premiere of her CD recording of Out Loud, her piano concerto commissioned by the Cornell University Wind Ensemble. She's performed with numerous collaborators on some of the biggest stages, including the World Saxophone Congress, twice at the International Horn Symposium, Eastman, Northwestern, and University of Michigan. Today, we're going to be talking about her life, her music, inspirations, and the world of wind band literature. We hope to find out more about her Ukrainian past and how it influences her music as well. Please welcome Dr. Catherine Lakuta. Woo! Woo! <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, my pleasure. It's great to talk to you. Uh, it's been, I remember you were coming for the TMEA conference uh, a year ago or two years ago, and I wanted to try and meet up with you there, like see you and kind of just meet you and uh unfortunately things fell through but it was it was so cool to think oh here's this composer who's really making some big waves and I can have a chance to meet her <laughs> <laughs> well now we can meet everybody can meet <laughs> yeah. in zoom <laughs> exactly here yeah. of meetings online <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes well thank you for your interest in my music oh it's great yeah we were we've been listening to it and um, Hillary and I both have uh, different favorites, and I, I think that's what's great is that we can all have all these great favorites. So yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't want to have a bolero, you know, yeah. <laughs> a bolero situation. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I really enjoy it. Yeah, quite often, you know, I would play a recital um, when I uh, do a bit of touring with my chamber music, mostly it's music for horn and piano. Um, I do some touring in the U.S. with my collaborators from there. And uh, then um, I would go and chat to audience members afterwards and different people would tell me their favorites on the recital. And it's always that different people talk about different pieces. And I really enjoy it because, you know, as much as I, I can have my own favorite, but they're all my babies, these pieces. Yeah, and I want yeah. them you know, I, 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 there is something for me in all of that, in each of them, there is something different to like. And uh, so I really enjoy it when different audience members relate to different pieces. Yeah. Well, and I think that's such a huge compliment to when, you know, people aren't just like, oh, it was great. You know, I really liked that one at the end. It's, it's yeah. such a refreshing thing as a composer to be like, you liked it? Okay, which one did you? Oh, you liked a different one? Like, it's yeah. so cool. It's such a good compliment. And really yeah. your, your diverse style. And I mean, I was listening to your SoundCloud, um, the, a couple of offerings that you have on there. And I was like, Oh, I like this one. I like this one. I like this one. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> really Thank you. Yeah, they all kind of, they all kind of tell different little stories. Um, mm. if, if you will. And yeah, <laughs> so it depends on which story you like better and which <laughs> kind of, kind of, uh, characters, musical characters speak to you the most. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, uh, we talked about a little bit with, uh, the Kiev universities and stuff, but, uh, let's, let's, uh, maybe explore your musical background a little bit. 
Yeah. Oh, it, it goes back to before I was born. <laughs> I uh, basically, <laughs> like I told you, it was liquid that there are no short answers. Um, I was, uh, <laughs> yeah, so I was basically born in the family of musicians on both sides. On my mom's uh, side, we had choral conductors and, um, um, my mom's dad was uh, a, um, a jazz saxophonist and he played saxophone clarinet all the reed instruments pretty much and uh he was a uh, director of a concert band as well in ukraine it was different setting um but they played mostly at big hotel receptions and things like that but they toured all across the soviet union as well that was before i was born and on my dad's side we had uh jazz and jazz rock percussionists so when i was born i didn't have much choice really but to do something in music because uh, i had all this in my genes it was kind of uh, um my um um I don't know how to put it, but it was kind of, kind of uh, the, the valuables that I got from my family, you know, and uh, I um, showed, uh, the, I guess, talent, if you listen to my parents, in uh, co very complicated writings. Um, it was very easy for me to repeat anything um, that people would clap to me, you know, uh, and I, I came to the music school at the age of four and they did the usual test, you know, this, I was like, D don't insult my intelligence, please. Uh, you know, <laughs> basically that was the situation. Yeah. So I started playing piano when I was five and I started with jazz piano and then, um, classical a bit later. And, um, uh, I studied with this fantastic jazz pianist in Ukraine. Um, he was not, uh, he was not your traditional kind of educator. He studied more with much older uh, kids, like from late teens, to, uh, anywhere to 50 year old, you know, and I was there, he's five year old and then six year old. And uh, he would just sit down and play a bunch of, you know, cool crap, and I would sit down and repeat it. And uh, <laughs> my mom would be like, "Can you please slow down? Please play it like five notes at a time." And I was like, "Oh, mom, okay, I got it." Uh, so oh that so that was pretty cool. And uh, then I never practiced until I was about fourteen. So by the age I was maybe ten, I even dealt with other kids. And then I kind of started to suck. So I I saw that I needed to practice. So I started practicing and that was the whole different thing. Uh, and uh, yeah, what was the question? <laughs> so from that, you decided to go into music or did you have aspirations to go into something else? Um, I uh, So my parents wanted me to do a number of different things, which they thought would bring money. Um, I wanted to do music because I felt at that time that uh, even though in Ukraine, it's very hard to make money with, I mean, let's face it, anywhere, yeah. but in Ukraine, especially, it's very hard to make a good living with music. It's not impossible, uh, but it's hard. And, uh, but I felt somehow that, you know, first of all, I had this, I was good at it. Uh, I, I was, you know, the musical dictations that other kids would struggle to write. I would write them from two goes instead of 10 goes. And then I would yeah. be done and just sitting there and all that. And also all the studies, even if I didn't practice at home, I had two or three lessons per week with my teacher and then solfege and all that. And just wasting all of that, throwing it out after seven years of music school, which in Ukraine is quite intense, yeah. and going and doing something else, I just felt like that was going to be already robbing myself of something. Yeah. So um, I insisted on music, and uh, my mom was thinking about maybe choral conducting, because that's what they did on their side of the family, and so they had kind of connections in that area. In Ukraine, you need to have connections in everything. And my dad was thinking maybe English major, because in Ukraine, that was a very good, cool kind of career at that time. Can you imagine if I actually went into English major and then I moved to America with my husband? 
the right. place where English majors are already greatly appreciated. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I come from English major from Ukraine. Like that would have been just a disaster of a scenario. Uh, so, so I'm really glad that I insisted and I uh, went to a musical college yeah, in Ukraine. We started pretty early. I was 13 when I started college. Oh, wow. 13 and a half. Yeah. So I did uh, a five-year degree in jazz and classical piano. And then I got uh, kind of tired of practicing and I could never really um, wrap my brain around jazz improvisation well mm. enough to be comfortable with it. Mm. Turns out you actually need to practice for that as well, but I didn't. Yeah. I just thought that it just comes. I right. thought it comes and it's not coming to me. So I need to do something else, you know. Oh, and yeah. I started, oh, yeah. yeah. And I started composing around that time when I was about 18. And um, I uh, uh, I remember we we had a class on um, uh, with my jazz ensemble, which was part of my curriculum. But it was all my friends at college. You know, we were all mates, uh, and uh, um, they asked me if I could write a short little tune or two for us to play all together, like write and arrange for that particular setting, um, just to play at the exam. And uh, I did. And uh, I brought the two, uh, these two pieces to the rehearsal and we played through them and they all loved it. You know, it wasn't, definitely wasn't the best piece ever, but right. to them it was because we were in that moment and I was their friend and uh, we were 18, you know, right. and, uh, and they were so excited about it. And all that excitement from my friends fed back to me and I, I, I was 18, I'm now 39 and a half. And I remember that day, I remember that feeling. And I thought, wow, this is something that, this is how I want to feel for the rest of my life. So this is how I decided to become a composer from that experience. And so I then uh, entered the conservatorium in Ukraine um, in composition instead of piano. And uh, I keep playing piano, especially concerts was my music. But that's how I decided to switch to composition. And I never looked wow. back, except for when I look inside my wallet. But that's a different story. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's why your husband makes the real money, right? <laughs> yes, 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 yes. <laughs> that's what I have. I my married wife well. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes, quite often people would ask me, oh, so is your husband a musician too? And I say, no, because somebody needs to feed the family. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So how was it really difficult to get into the Kiev Conservatory? I mean, we hear stories like Americans, are, you know, we grow up on these stories that it's so extremely difficult to get into these European conservatory establishments and uh and um i mean i don't i don't know what it's like you know i went to all state school so it was like yeah uh what what is it like to that process to go into something like that yeah it's uh, pretty competitive there are two i don't know what it's like now but when i was um applying in uh 1999 or 2000 um it was uh, um the the situation was that people who applied were basically separated into three groups the ones who got rejected the ones who got accepted on um um but they had to pay mm. for okay. their education and the ones that got accepted for free Oh, and wow. they were getting a small stipend as well. So for the ones that got accepted for free, uh, the competition was about um, out of the after um, the the pre-screening and uh, the the rejection of the other ones. So just for for the um, free education, it was about seven composers per spot. Oh wow. wow. Uh, so yeah, there, there were 55 people applying and they accepted seven. So wow. seven, seven to eight composers per yeah. spot. Yeah. yeah. And I also, I had a, uh, I finished, I graduated from the musical college summa cum laude. So oh, I wow. didn't have to take, there were five exams to get into conservatory and I only had to take three because... Oh, cool. Yeah, because Summa yeah. Cum Laude covers your two exams, like history and and 
and language or something else. Um, so, but I remember seeing my name there because your Kiev Conservatory is, you, you know, it has a name, it has history, it yeah. has legacy, it's massive. Okay. And uh, when, and I was dreaming about being a student there one day and just, just thinking about it. And it's also located in downtown Kiev, it's gorgeous they're very easy commute that's where everyone wants to be anyway you know mm -hmm. and then i just remember dreaming about it for years and then seeing my name there in the list of accepted students it was that's just so cool. just like i uh, like i won a jackpot or you know yeah oh yeah yeah uh so that was that was pretty cool yeah and um you know then i went on to um I didn't study officially in the US, but I was welcomed to Dana Wilson's composition classes, uh, composition seminar and composers forum and same with Steve Stuckey at Cornell. So I saw these two schools and then I saw other schools as I did seminar presentations all across um, the US pretty much. And uh, Ukrainian education is really good. <laughs> <laughs> It's super, you know, the fundamentals are covered really well. You get fantastic basis, uh, like like a big, um, base, I guess, foundation for oh. all that you need to learn later on. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's all brick by brick, the right bricks in the right places. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah, I'm very fortunate that I had that uh, experience. Because, you know, in the US, basically, uh, the way it worked in Itka College and I think at Cornell was the composition students, undergrads, had this list of different um, um, media that they had to write for, um, for their studies, but it was basically up to them in which order to put those. And of course, everybody wanted to start with symphony orchestra. I don't know. Yeah. But like, yeah, this is so cool. Oh, yeah. Actually, it's not so cool. It's terrifying unless you oh, know. <laughs> yeah. Whereas in Ukraine, first year, you're writing for one or two instruments and you're writing uh, a simple tertiary form. Uh, or, you, you know, you, you learn to like miniatures and stuff. You learn to create the material and you learn about the instruments. And then second year, it's rondo and sonata. So you learn to develop the material. And then third year, you and variations, rondo sonata and variations. And third year, you add instruments. So it's chamber ensemble, chamber orchestra, string orchestra. And then fourth and fifth year, you're working with symphony orchestra. Um, well, that's such a fantastic and, way to do that. Um, I went to a state school, University of Montana, and it was like, your first year was structured like that, where it was like, OK, you're going to write for one or two instruments. And then it was like year two, it was like being thrown to the wolves. It was like, all right, pick what you want. and. Do your thing, yeah. you get three more years of that, and you're like, okay. And then your fourth year, they let you write for a orchestra. You're like, I don't know. I just remember being like overwhelmed and terrified. Yeah. Structure, I need somebody to tell me what to do. This is too much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Because you already have all these choices, you know, all these notes staring at you. You don't yeah. want, you actually want to be put into some box. Yeah. And I never yeah. thought I would say that, but yeah, about year two, I was like, can you just tell me what to do? <laughs> yeah, like you need you need a crib. You need a crib. You get into that crib and you play with these toys. You don't want yes. to be left in the middle of the street playing with these toys. Right? Right? <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's so Ukraine had very good structure with that. I really appreciated appreciated it later on because I saw a lot of students being very talented but getting very confused yeah. with what to do. And it's like, yay, I chose to write for symphony orchestra. Oh hell, I'm only 19. What why why did I do that? You know? Oh yeah, um, oh yeah. Yeah, at my yeah. where I got my undergrad, it was uh uh, you know, we write what we wanted, but then we had an actual reading with the symphony and they were like, first off, we never put them in six flats. So second <laughs> yeah. off, <laughs> yeah. well, these, like these solo lines and these, like the duets are really cool, but you can't, you know, don't subject these people to this and don't do this. And it's like, yeah, 
I don't know, you know? <laughs> yeah, I remember yeah. a similar experience with my reading. I remember, like, I think I started, like, the oboes on their lowest note, and the guy was just like, no. <laughs> I was like, yeah. oh, okay, I didn't know. <laughs> Never written an oboe and all these yeah. other instruments. <laughs> what do you mean the English horn can't go that high? Just yeah, go harder. You know? like... <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's, it's really scary, you know, now when I'm, when saxophone undergrads are playing in the band playing through my piece and they say actually saxophone can't do it and i say actually it can and actually many people have done it <laughs> it's up on youtube and you know <laughs> oh they're like oh okay uh, uh, you know but yeah but you know when you know your stuff but uh, yeah it's scary yeah. i remember my violin sonata when i was a year three uh student at the conservatory uh, and I wrote the sonata for violin and piano, and I brought it to the uh, violin performance major and uh, asked her to read through it together. And she looks at the first bar and she says, well, that's unplayable. And I'm like, it's the first bar. And she said, well, yeah, life is cruel. What do you want me to say? It's unplayable. <laughs> and uh, luckily, it was the only bar that was unplayable. So I had a double stop and it was low g and uh c sharp and obviously that can't happen because right, the next right. string is d so <laughs> just tune the d down a little bit it's fine but that's the thing you know this is the brilliant example this is the brilliant example of knowing of why you need to know stuff about instruments not just from wikipedia you know because right. yeah. because you look at the range and it's from low g so you assume that you can use anything from that low G and onwards, right. but actually, yes, but also you need to think about the strings and uh, <laughs> you can't use low G with anything lower than D. Right. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, so that was uh, my first embarrassing moment of many. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look how we learn. <laughs> yeah. Can we cut this out? No, I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I remember we oh, had, <laughs> right. I remember we had uh, Eric Whitaker visit our school mm. when I was in my master's and we were playing his piece, The Steel Lullaby. Mm. And like, uh -huh. I was playing the piano part because I was the designated pianist. Uh -huh. And I was, he was like, he walks up, stands right next to the piano and he's like, so how's it going? And I was like, this is actually a little more difficult than I anticipated, you know? And, you know, part of it was like, we weren't giving it enough, like, ebb and flow, and he's got these kind of awkward jumps from the low to the upper range, and you can't just go boom, bam, you know, you can't jump yeah. and land hard, and and I hadn't been performing in, oh, I don't know, a couple years, so it was just like, I wasn't used to it anymore. <laughs> yeah. So, but it was interesting to talk to him about it, and it felt weird saying, like, well, I if it was me, I would have done it this way, you know? Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> You're Eric so you can yeah. do one. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. That was probably not the best place to 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 talk about it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but having said that, you know, it's uh, yeah, with piano writing, I just uh, that's kind of one of the reasons that I stick to performing my own music. Uh, mm. It's it's a, it's a twofold kind of uh, effect. One is or reasoning. One is that. I know that, you know, no, no matter how, one of the reasons I didn't want to keep going with the uh, piano performance was that, you know, there is this crazy competition um, that everybody is trying to be better than everyone else. And then oh, yeah. there is a five-year-old prodigy coming right. out of Asia somewhere and, and uh, you're screwed, you know, and that's just, yeah. uh, and, and like, you have to be better than everyone else playing this concerto by Mozart. I don't even want to listen to that concerto by Mozart. Who cares? Yeah. You know? uh, but, <laughs> I love it. How am I supposed to be but, better but, than Yuja Wang and Ling Ling? I mean, that's not going to happen, you know? Yeah, exactly. And uh, with, with uh, composition and with playing my own music, like, I know that there are lots of people in the world who are better pianists than me on the large scale of things. But I also know that ultimately no one can really perform that piano part better than I can because yeah. I know so much more about it than I can put in the score, you know? Yeah. And so that's one side of it. And uh, another side of, 
it is when I perform other people's music quite often, you know, when it's new music and they're just sending it off and it sounds easy on the MIDI, so they think it's easy, yeah. but it's just not quite playable. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's just this weird, weird stuff. And then quite often in atonal music, people would use double sharps and double flats. Yeah. And, and I'm just knock it off. It's not like by definition, there is no key in your music. If there is no key, there can't be double sharps and double flats. Right. Because right. they are, they, they, yeah. yeah, they are the side of, they, they are the side effect of key signatures. Exactly. And when we are, <laughs> when we are in a minor key, I understand the need for double sharps. That's, that's how it should be. Okay. In some situations, but when we are in atonal music, there's absolutely no need for them. That's one of the good things about atonal music. So We're free. Anyway. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's, uh, yeah, but I found as a as a pianist and as a composer educator, I guess, I found that uh, piano music is one of the hardest things for a lot of composers to get right. And, yeah. to, and you know, people will tell you there is no right or wrong. Uh, yeah, to a certain point, and then there actually is. <laughs> yeah. If you no. want to perform, there is. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like there are these, um, I'm, uh, I've played this um, Sonata 40 by uh, David Sampson, which is a great piece. Um, the version for horn and piano, I played it with Adam Answorth from University of Michigan. We played it numerous times and uh, it's hell to learn, really fun to play. Um, but there are these moments that on piano just don't quite work well. There are these very long notes, like very long chords that mm -hmm. lasts a long long time and after that there is a melody that's supposed to be loud but it kind of comes as the continuation of the chord that just mm. faded so it feels yeah. like that chord needs to build except it starts fading straight away yeah you know? you're always so, um, on the piano <laughs> yeah yeah so i feel very fortunate that i'm a pianist who became a composer and so i know how to write for piano that's okay. yeah yeah. yeah, valuable. I know I have like limited piano, and every time I I sit to write piano for whatever, I'm like, oh, this is not my strong suit, and I'm always like, err on the side of like, is it playable? <laughs> like, please let. Yeah, me well, that's playable. that's good. That's good as long as you are thinking about it, and uh, you know, that's pretty much all you have to do. And if you are being on the side of uh, being careful with it, that's that's fine. Uh, that's how I write for harp. I always mm -hmm. make harp parts um, easy to put together, easy to read, because I know that quite often they just have to read them and they also yeah. have to see the conductor and it's just hell. Yeah. <laughs> harp equals hell. So, yeah. um, you know, <laughs> so I'm very careful with it and I can use, you know, I can use four different notes, but I try to create as much magic as I can with those four notes. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, kind of uh, quite fun, but when you look at it, there is not much. <laughs> to yeah. it at all yeah i've been able to get away with it so far we'll see how much <laughs> i can milk it <laughs> for how much longer <laughs> nobody knows <laughs> i have 2022 in the pool we'll see. <laughs> and so then from from kiev you went to the university of queensland is that correct uh, no, so from Kiev, we went to the U.S., we went right. to Ithaca and then to Chicago and then, you know, oh, well, yeah, in terms of education, in terms of um, official university education, yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so who did you study with in, at the University of Queensland? Um, I studied with, uh, so I didn't study with anyone for my composing because oh, okay. I, uh, between the two, I already did eight years of freelancing and I recorded several albums and, uh, did performances and all that. But, uh, I did study for my, um, um, thesis for my PhD research for that. I studied with the composer, local composer, Robert Davidson for the first couple of years. And then I uh, changed my principal advisors, long story. Um, and uh, then I studied with uh, a um, um, piano professor, Liam okay. Briney, who is uh, a current head of school here. And uh, I uh, changed the 
um, lens at which I, through which I was looking at my research and uh, rewrote my thesis completely. And uh, so I basically did one and a half theses, I guess. Oh my and, goodness. Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, and, and then I uh, finished. And uh, the, I'm so happy and so relieved about it. Oh yeah, and that was recently too, right? It was recently and it took me a while because I was full-time composer. You are allowed here to accept any commissions and anything you want while you're studying. Oh, cool. uh, so I was a full-time composer and uh, doing casual teaching quite often and uh, being a full-time, well, half-time part-time mom as well. My husband is also a full-time mom. So that was, that was quite busy. Yeah. I, uh, I, I started to, I was accepted into the program in April, 2013 and my daughter was born in August, 2013. Wow. Okay. So yeah, um, it was, it was a long process and, uh, um, <clears throat> uh, and you know, I wanted to, um, I wanted my thesis to be perfect for me, every word, you know, and that was annoying and took a while, but then it was ultimately worth it because it was accepted without any recommended changes. Mm. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And here in Australia, the situation is different with this from, I think, from what it is in the US. You actually, you have your oral exam and you have your um, other qualifications, but then for, to analyze your thesis, you actually need to to find uh, um, uh, outside examiners. They can be from within your country or they can be international. So I got myself two international examiners, one of whom had never heard my name. Well, maybe he heard my name, but he knew nothing about my work. And everybody said that I was crazy to take such a massive risk. And I said, well, I don't really care whether or not I get this PhD. I have this typical composer, you know, I have right. this chance, <laughs> I, I, I have this chance of putting my music in front of somebody who's never experienced it right. and asking them what they think and you yeah. know, my work and they have no perspective of, because they don't know who I am. So they will not be partial in any way. I really want that to happen. So that was very risky, but yeah. it worked. And uh, now that person and I are gonna do a little bit of collaboration, which oh, is cool. exciting. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. So that was that was that. That's Very cool. cool. Yeah. <laughs> and what 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 is your uh, thesis on? Uh, um, here, your composition thesis has to be about your your kind of either your compositional process or a specific piece that you're planning to write. At first, when I was applying, when you're applying, you need to tell them what you think your thesis will be about. Okay. Um, so at first I was planning to write scraps from Madman's diary, and I was planning to just make scraps my thesis. Uh, but then in, in the process as things were coming up and uh, I started analyzing my, um, premeditated improvisation, which is the term that I coined um, as part of my thesis. So I started, so, you know, I thought it was free improvisation that I was using for my composing, but then I analyzed it and I saw that it was actually not all that free because <laughs> I was thinking about it for ages and, you know, it's like this piece for five horns that I'm improvising on. I'm improvising on piano, but it doesn't sound like piano music. It sounds like music for some other instruments and, and all that. So lots of analysis went into it. And um, my thesis ended up being on the this premeditated improvisation as part of the compositional process and uh, as the connector, as the bridge between subconsciousness and conscious decisions. Um, wow. So that's... That's basically the main thing. And the, the biggest chapter of it is about scraps from Madman's diary. But I also talk about my horn works and um, my uh, orchestral, recent orchestral piece, Rituals of Heartland, uh, and uh, do a little case study. And uh, um, I submitted my improvisations that are supposed to be just for me, but well, it's. Yeah. you kind of you kind of have to share and uh 
and and you know my vocal improvisation for my horn piece i threw a shoe at the cat and it's all like it's it's all really it's fun fun stuff you know when i'm just singing and meowing just for myself but then i have to <laughs> put it out there uh, it's like it's literally the recording where i'm singing meow meow and i turned it into a piece yes. it was the piece about this cat but then this recording this meowing is there as part of my thesis and uh, it's all like, uh, but it's also it, it's fun it's kind of a method in madness i guess yeah yeah. So that's the that's the madness uh, side, and there is also the methods described. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, you know, I love your scraps for a madman's diary. Thank and, you. And um, when I mean, I was listening to it, I've listened to it a couple times, quite a few times actually, and it's just like I just wrote these notes where it's you know it's such a cool mix of like at least the version I saw was like this live action you know with a, a regular standard choir and then it's like there's another choir in front of it uh and then the conductor and then the ensemble on the other side of the conductor almost musical theater in a way Thank you for watching and I'm glad you enjoyed it. It's uh, uh, it's uh, like I said, there are no short stories with Lakuta. So in, <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> in 2006, and I promise not to go through every year between then and now, <laughs> but in 2006, I uh, read this unassuming little novel by uh, um, Nikolai Gogol. Ukrainian author uh, called Diary of a Madman. It was just a 10 page story and it was um, describing from the first person describing a person's uh, descent into insanity. Mm. And uh, I read it overnight and uh, I was just completely blown away because it was this tiny little nucleus and the charge inside it, the dramatic charge was ridiculous, you know, in, in the like the first sentence he talks about coming to work and kind of his um, colleagues making a bit fun of him and you don't quite understand why. And then at the end of page 10, he's in, he's locked up in an insane asylum. Wow. And uh, I was just completely blown away, but I also felt uneasy about how much potential I felt one could extrapolate from that idea mm -hmm. and it was and it wasn't uh, developed it, it wasn't meant to develop uh, to be developed but i wanted to develop it and i told my husband oh one day i will write an oratory about it and he was like yeah yeah go to sleep okay um, <laughs> so i was like i'll show you um and uh, so i had this idea about writing this piece for ages and uh when i was but I felt that I wasn't ready yet. And I also wanted to have the performers who would be willing to do it. I, I couldn't just write it and let it sit. I needed to write it for someone, this driving force um, for my creativity. And so when I moved to Australia, I started making contacts here. Oh yeah, um, Cindy Johnston-Turner, who commissioned my piano concerto at Cornell, she then moved to UGA and she wanted, a year before she moved to UGA, she wanted uh to commission another piece from me mm -hmm. and i wanted to write this i wanted to write scraps and she said great but it has to be um 
we need probably a 12 minute piece or so. She wanted scraps, but she wanted the 12 minute piece as well. And I said, no, it's not going to fit. At that time, I wanted to make it a 20 minute concerto variations without any text. Acquire, but no text. Uh, And just to do the idea... The idea of uh, blooming mental illness, do it through the form of variations and, and uh, the, the mutations uh, with the musical material. And so I wrote me disagrees for Cindy Johnston Turner at that time instead, and I kept the idea of scraps for later. And then when I applied for grad school and I found the conductor here who did me disagrees and who wanted to do this piece, as soon as I des- described it to him, he said, we're in. Oh, cool. Uh, and- Please tell me how much money we need to pay for this. I'm going to go apply for funding. And I was like, maybe I'll apply for a grant. He said, no, you take care of the creative part. We want to pioneer this project. Okay. Oh, wow. What a dream. That was that was amazing. Yeah. And uh, he was buzzing about it. I was buzzing about it. And uh, he's immense support all of a sudden to just a local composer who just moved here you know his faith in me um really inspired me and within a week i uh messaged him and i said could it be not a 20 minute concerto variations but a 35 minute like a 30 35 minute oratorio and by the way i have libretto ideas and some text and it just all (laughs) kind of grew legs my my brain was just coming up with all this stuff, like all, all the all the text, I wrote it all myself. Wow. Um, and then the ideas for the, um, and you know, I'm not, I'm not claiming that it's good or whatever. It's good for me, um, but uh, I'm, I'm just saying that I, I did it all myself. And then um, these uh, dramatic elements, the, the um, acting and staging uh, and where they stand and how they're dressed and all that, that all was coming to me as well. Um, the structure of the 13 scenes was partly just me thinking, okay, holy crap, I'm, I'm about to write a 35-minute piece and I've never written anything longer than 13 minutes, you know, how do right, I right. deal with it? <laughs> and I just decided, how about we deal with it one scene at a time? That's going to be good safety blanket, you know? So just thinking about a million different considerations, how we hear this, how we hear that, um how you know not having any text for the choir after scene eight where they tear their diaries apart uh so they don't have to memorize much stuff um Mm -hmm. you know just just all these things it was it was crazy it was such a crazy uh compositional and otherwise process it was quite an out of the body experience really and also the immense pressure for the world premiere i knew that it was this this conservatorium that commissioned it with the consortium support from sydney conservatorium and university of georgia but the conservatorium queensland conservatorium here in brisbane that commissioned it it was at that time their biggest commission wow and so i was like no pressure you know (laughs) and then i would come yeah, and I would come to that concert hall where they would have concerts, symphony orchestra and wind ensemble, and I would come there as I was writing the piece, and I would just think the little voice in my head would be, "Don't stuff it up! Don't stuff it up!" Because this is this is the concert hall. It's amazing. It's massive. Uh, lots of like it, it fits. I don't remember like over a thousand people, and uh, wow. and. And it's the world premiere, you know, it's the first go at the piece. So you really need everything to be perfect. So it was, yeah, it was intense, but it was amazing. just love how it seems so you know in the beginning it seems so natural and yet it's still like a little uncomfortable yeah and then how it just devolves into this literally just a person sitting there on the floor and yeah. everyone just like pointing at them and and you know uh the yelling and stuff and it's just like what i've never seen anything done like this with especially with a wind ensemble yeah yeah you know this is like whenever I see something like this, I'm thinking, 
maybe like David Little or something, you know, like a, uh, you know, an opera or, yeah, uh, you know, at least, you know, like an orchestra or something, but I've never really seen anything like that with a wind ensemble. How did you pick, I mean, is that just what you thought of rather than an yeah. orchestra or? Yeah, they offered me both choices. I, I could have uh, done it with symphony orchestra or wind ensemble, but I really love the colors and the power of wind ensemble. And um, um, due to my jazz background, I feel closer to wind ensemble. Mind you, first time I heard wind ensemble, I was 26. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, there's no wind ensemble in Ukraine. And oh, wow. I didn't really travel outside Ukraine until I moved to the US. So first, my first experience with wind ensemble was when I asked Dana Wilson to give me uh, a CD with a bunch of his music so that I can get introduced to it. And he burned the CD for me and he put, you know, a, a healthy mix of everything. And there were several of his wind ensemble pieces and uh, I didn't know what it was. I was just listening to it one by one. Yeah. And I was like, this is a really cool orchestral piece. I love the groove and everything. But man, this guy just doesn't know how to write for strings. <laughs> I can't hear that. Turns out there was no freaking strings there. It was right. wind ensemble. <laughs> and uh, so that was my first um, introduction to wind ensemble. And then my next introduction to wind ensemble was pretty much when I was writing for Cornell in 2008 for Cornell wind, wind ensemble. And uh, yeah, I just feel like in terms of the attack and the articulation and the um, timing of the mm. attack and the articulation, uh, it's much easier for me to work with them on the, um, you know, on the more um, picky scale of things. Yeah. Then with symphony orchestra and, and also symphony orchestras are not really uh, that interested in new music. I love writing. Oh, yeah. yeah. I love writing for symphony orchestras, but I had to turn down several commissions because no matter how much you get paid, no composer ever wants to write a piece that will be performed just once. Right, right, yeah. right. So, yeah. And, and uh, look, Scraps is the piece that's not going to get heaps of performances because it takes such massive forces to perform it. Um, I, but I know that uh, there are people who are really committed to it and who have it on their bucket list and, uh, uh, you know, people who are waiting for the right moment for the, some schools are waiting for um, the new choral conductor to come in next year or a couple right. of years from now where they can put it together. People are making these plans and, uh, and that's fine. I was... I didn't even think that it would be performed the second, like I didn't kind of care whether it would be performed the second time. I had to write it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It, I was just so pregnant with it, so to speak. I just, Oh yeah. I just had to write it. And when I was at the university of Georgia for the, um, so they brought me over from Australia for a week long residency for their, wow um north american premiere of scraps that's the one that's uh the video that you're talking about mm -hmm. uh bill and they are the first notes started coming out of the stage and we were preparing for it for a week and they were absolutely brilliant they were so on top of things when i came and uh when i heard the first couple of notes my thought i remember it so clearly my thought was holy hell it's being performed again oh yeah it's like yeah because i i thought you know even if it's never never gets performed i'm so glad that i wrote it i had to and all that but then it was getting performed again it was uh, awesome i hope it get gets performed again sometime soon once oh, we me too. <laughs> once we once we finish uh, with COVID, and uh, you know it was also um a very kind of cleansing experience for a lot of uh, students. The students who were working on it here with me, it was different for them because they saw bits and pieces being composed. I would bring them to reading sessions. So they they didn't have um, this same holistic experience with it. 
right. uh, just getting this finished product, you know, and, and uh, seeing it. They were kind of part of this whole journey. But then when uh, UGA students were working with it, they were coming to the conductors and talking to them and saying, can we talk and telling them the stories about how somebody in their life suffers from mental illness. Oh. Um, and, and then, you know, after the performance, I went backstage with them and uh, several of them were just crying and giving mm. me hugs. And uh, this one girl came and she was just in tears and I was like, oh, I'm so sorry, sweetheart. And she said, no, 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 this is not, I'm, I'm not sad. I don't know how to describe it, but she said, I was never in the room full of people who cared about mm. this, you know? And I just, oh, I remembered it because it was so, it, it was so powerful. And so, yeah, I think, I think we don't talk about it in the, in the arts nearly enough about mental illness, mental health, and uh, the perception that we have in the society still, you know, it's 21st century, but still so many people think it's funny when somebody's visibly mentally ill, you know, they giggle and whatnot. And so I use that opportunity also kind of to manipulate the audience, you know, in scene three with puppy dogs and uh, making it all funny and giggly and then calendar people later on, but then turning it to its very dark side. Mm -hmm. And uh, these people feel guilty that they laughed about it in scene three and in scene five. And I want them to feel guilty because that's, that's, you know, it's the different sides of the same situation. powerful <laughs> so, yeah yeah <laughs> and it has a so lot of feelings to me of like it reminded me a lot of like Corel Husa um and just the way you orchestrated things and the way the the like the voices and the timbres work together um I mean I keep referring to this and I prefer referred to it in another episode we had but of his apotheosis mm-hmm. and it's just um it was just kind of so like uh, dramatic and the way you wrote for the brass and the, the low brass, especially. Uh, and yet, you know, like the timpani had its moments and uh, it wasn't just like blending in and things. It was, it was great. It was such a beautiful piece. And the Thank piano solo so like, yeah, you had like these little piano solos in there that um, made time kind of stand still. And I loved it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you. And it was also my first time writing for choir, so no pressure. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you if you'd ever my written head- for choir before. No, my brain was like, first time writing for choir. I was like, shut up. Let's keep going. <laughs> we can do this. Don't blow this. Yeah, yeah and I'm also terrible. I, I have zero, which is bad, but I have kind of zero. I don't know. I don't want to say zero interest, but I was not um it never attracted me to 
do score studies and uh, to I, I like listening mm -hmm. to music and that's why when Cindy Johnson Turner asked me to write my piano concerto I just went to all of their wind band rehearsals for the entire semester three times a week mm -hmm. wow I was there and and I was just writing like clarinets sound really good with xylophone when they're doing this and the xylophone is playing the same thing in the octave I, I just had this like book like a like a uh text kind of uh you, you know um like a notebook yeah records yeah yeah but that i was keeping from all these rehearsals i'm not sure i ever read it but it, as i was writing it it was kind of somehow like, getting you. uploaded in here yeah and uh that's how i learned but i didn't study any scores ever i think maybe it's because in Ukraine, we didn't really have access to any scores. You could hardly borrow anything from the library back then. Um, so it was all just hearing and trying and seeing what works. So yeah, it's it's hard. There is never like, I can never do like, oh, I know this formula will work. No, I don't know it because I haven't tried it before, but but it's also fun kind of. Yeah, that's part of the mystery and the, the joy. Yeah. Of trying <laughs> yeah. yeah takes takes some courage that's for sure yeah. oh. and then the, the first rehearsal is always like i really hope it sounds like it sounds in my head yeah <laughs> not like a moment where you hear it and you're like okay i wasn't crazy like this came out yeah. the way i was hoping it would <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> yeah lately it's been working yeah i even with with scraps i had to change like just a couple of notes in each scene and everything else just worked just I wow. think it just because I kept reminding myself how important it was that everything works yeah well that, that I also detail makes it enjoyable as a performer when you've you've got that intention from the composer and they've clearly spent time thinking about okay how does the performer going to deal with this like what are their aches and pains what are they going to moan about and it's, yeah it's great <laughs> yeah and i was also while i was orchestrating it i wrote short score first and then while i was orchestrating it i had uh, atypical pneumonia for 10 weeks i had high grade fever every day for 10 weeks while i was oh, orchestrating it and yeah so it's it was an experience to remember in every way <laughs> yeah wow. takes writing in a fever to a whole new level <laughs> yes yes <laughs> Tap into exactly. Mozart, right? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Berlioz write that one in a night. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I don't think I've ever written anything in a night. I, it, the the one of the funniest kind of or most ironic stories about uh, my music is this. Um, so I wrote this piece for clarinet and piano started it in 2005 and I finished it in 2007. And that was the piece I was writing when I started working with Dana Wilson. And then I was finishing it when I started working with Steve Stuckey. And then we did the premiere of that piece. And that's the one that Cindy Johnston Turner heard live and asked me to write wow. a piano concerto for them. And so I played with it. So she liked it. And then I came back to my lesson with Steve Stuckey and I said, look, I'm worried that you know, if, if it takes me two years to write each piece. And uh, he said, well, first of all, it depends on what kind of piece, you know, Lutoslavsky took once like 11 years to write something. And he was Lutoslavsky's student. Lutoslavsky coached wow. him, kind of oh. like he coached me. Yeah. Nothing. And wow. he said, yeah. And he said, um, well, it's also, so if you write, if you pop out pieces like motions, that, that, that piece that I wrote every two years, you shouldn't worry. But then he also saw, said, look, if you want to practice writing faster, uh, take some idea and do these exercise pieces, make, commit to writing one piece a day, like very short piece, like take someone's name and take the notes out of the letters and write just one piece in a day and then you're done and I decided to do that and I took the perfect fifth and it's inversion and mm. I worked on it for a day and I loved it and then the day was gone but I was like well I like this idea and you know I, I, I feel like coming up with a good idea is the hardest part then you can work with it because you have the craft skills you know 
So I decided not to give it up, but I was working on the piano concerto. So I was getting back to this idea on and off. So that turned out into my uh, piece called Insolent Shadow. And um, it took from the day I started it to the day I put the double bar there. And it took two years. Wow. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that, though. I feel no. like you really get that time to to let it breathe and think on it yeah it's just it's just funny it's just funny that that was uh you know, that was supposed to be a one day exercise piece <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just one day two years later <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so yeah cool. <laughs> so while snap or scraps hasn't done a lot hasn't had a lot of performances your piece, Home Away From a Home. I feel like it's been performed everywhere almost. <laughs> almost, yeah. <laughs> I'm happy for as many people to perform it as possible. I'm quite excited about that piece. And now that piece is about Ukraine, is that correct? Oh, it's about a whole bunch of places. It's basically okay. about the idea. Uh, it was commissioned for the slightly younger performers than scraps and then my other works so for freshmen and um sophomore to junior undergrads in college and uh so my idea was that you know to relate to that age group because it was the first time that i was writing for that particular age group and uh, i wanted to uh kind of cre recreate the feeling of uh when they leave home for the first time and they uh, moved to college and uh, all the feelings that are associated with it it's kind of like taking off on the airplane you know yeah um, <laughs> i mean different different people take off on an airplane in different ways like my husband does it like this <laughs> you know but he falls asleep before you know these people i i, I always envy i can't yeah, i know i know <laughs> like 10 hour <laughs> flight i'm like well i'm here for the entire thing yeah oh yeah, yeah. When I flew to, yeah. yeah, when I flew to Paris, I had to go from Houston to Istanbul to Venice to Paris and literally was up the entire time. Yep. I just couldn't sleep at all. So I did Aww. Montana or, you know, Montana to Minneapolis and then Minneapolis to Paris. And I remember like getting there and there were some people from New York that were like, it was like a five hour flight. And I'm like, I've been up for 20 hours. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What day is it? I'm on like I, day I three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there are two kinds of people. So I'm I'm very yeah. much like Hillary. Yeah. I, I just can't uh sleep and, and I feel that when the engine starts, I feel like what's gonna happen? Are we gonna crash? No. Or, you know? Oh, I like it's so yeah. true. I'm like hang tight. And then when we're in the air and finally I'm like, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's also exciting, you know, this feeling. So that was kind of the idea uh, for the beginning. And then for the um, sentimental section, it was about, um, or melancholic, it was about the, this feeling for when you visit a place where you had loved ones uh, in the past and now they passed away and you come there for the first time and you just visit that place. And... Uh, then uh, there is this Ukrainian section, just because it's Ukrainian, it's fun. So I, I incorporated a bit of that. Um, but it's, yeah, it's basically about all these different places and just the feeling of having a home somewhere, home away from home. Because yeah. <laughs> I don't know where my home is anymore and where my home away from home is. My, Ithaca is my home. Chicago is a bit of my home. Uh, Ukraine is my home and Australia is my home. Yeah, uh, so it's all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Texas, Montana. I lived in England for a year, and I'm like, all of these places are home to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, and and you know, the more we move towards the very globalized kind of um, world, the more people can relate to it. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> and how did you incorporate, um, I guess this is kind of just an overall question about your, all your pieces, but like incorporate your Ukrainian heritage into your music. Yeah, I don't really even know how it happens until like I just decide to kind of um, turn up the volume on my Ukrainian heritage while composing and then I'm like, oh, that sounds good. <laughs> but uh, I don't analyze any folk music or anything like that. It's all kind of what I have in me. Mm -hmm. But a lot of it is um, open fifths and gutsy um kind of uh really robust um with um with lowered second uh this um, kind of motion to, towards stonic and da 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 this sort of thing and and it just kind of has this tribal feel to it and i just go with that and uh, find it musically <laughs> yeah all that yeah, well, it's, you know, it's fun when you have those um, styles like ingrained in you and you're just like, you're, you know, you're problem solving and you're like, oh, I could use a little bit of this. And like, this yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm just letting it out. And it's also it's it's really fun because it's also like how many composers do you know who, who come from Ukraine and uh, are writing for band and, and or or any other medium and, uh, um, you know, who 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 is going to give you that little um sample of that yeah. culture and i feel yeah. like i should give you that sample of that culture because that culture is awesome and even though i'm not giving you something that's that i can classify i can describe why exactly it's ukrainian folk i because there is very little literature on it i tried to find it for my thesis it's very little but i feel like it's genuine because it's coming from, because I lived it, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, uh, Kathy, uh, Dr. Lakuda. Um, I don't know what you want us to call you, um, but yes, Dr. Kathy. <laughs> Dr. Kathy, perfect. I love it. Um, thank you so much for being on. Uh, we really appreciate it. We love your music, and I, I can't wait to hear more when you have more coming out. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and for your interest and your questions and for listening to all my answers and being patient. <laughs> yes, thanks for giving us the whole story and not just what you think we wanted. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my pleasure. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Sounds of the World podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode. There are links to everything in the episode description and also on our website. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Sounds of the World. To show support for Sounds of the World podcast, please join our Patreon, where you can have access to our after-party discussions with guests, discounted merchandise, and even more. If you have any questions, answers, or episode suggestions, please email us at Sounds of the world podcast at gmail.com. Well, Bill, I think I'm going to go have a beer now. Hey, there you go. <laughs> <laughs>